Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 75. This cast is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com and Gathering Magic, your number one place to buy Magic the Gathering cards. With a sweet 25% buy list bonus and $100 or more orders getting free shipping, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my co-hosts, Travis Allen of MTG Price and Scry.Land, and Jim Casali of Modern Nexus and Quiet Speculation. There's a couple things we're going to talk about this week. First off, thanks to everybody who actually left a question. We, we've had like one or two questions this week, or per week, when it comes to giving away a Cool Stuff gift card every week. And this week, a lot of listeners finally decided to write in. So if you guys do that more, there's a higher chance of you guys winning each week. So just keep sending in those questions, please. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you for a second. Technically, yeah, no problem. Technically, the more people that ask questions, the lower chance you have to win. But the chance starts out so high that you're really just doing yourself a disservice by not asking a question. I mean, we've had months of being sponsored by Cool Stuff. You guys should just keep playing the odds every week. It's, uh, it's much easier than speculating on tiny leaders. So if you want some free value, feel free to leave comments on a chance to win. Uh, let's start off this week with the banning announcement. Uh, today we had a announcement that nothing was banned in any format. There were people calling for the ban of Storm. There were people calling for the ban of Death Shadow. There are people calling for Deathrite Shaman to be banned in Legacy and Misha's Workshop in Vintage as always. Uh, however, Wizards came out and said, guess what? No changes. We'll look into it next year. Is there anything that you guys want to take away from this? Um, basically, like people are expecting bans or unbans in a lot of formats at this point. And, like, it almost never happens. Or it hasn't happened in a long time. I'd expect that trend to continue, but if you really wanted to like put your money somewhere, I think the most likely unban at this point in time is probably Bloodbraid Elf. I am also inclined to say that Bloodbraid is the most likely unban. Um, it's certainly the safest, especially with the threat Shaman gone, and mid-range decks sort of aren't in a great place in the format right now, especially ones that play cards that cost four mana. Um, so that's probably not unreasonable uh, in terms of an expectation. Uh, really, at this point, the modern bands are less interesting than the EDH ones. You want to talk about what got banned exactly and what this means for EDH finance in the future? Uh, well, it's not that something got banned. It's just that when you see unbans in EDH, it seems to be a larger movement in the market and more sustainable, I think, in general than modern unbans. Um, if for instance, we're blood right on ban, if it were really be, be played, people would try it, of course, but then, you know, we'd have to see if it really panned out and continued to be played. Whereas if you look at EDH and you see a card get unbanned, uh, it is still going to get played. Uh, metal worker certainly showed up in decks, uh, protein Hulk managed. Let's take a quick look here. Uh, he's in 1300 decks and he's been unbanned for like three months. So not too bad. And I think, you know, you'll see him filter into more as time goes on remember that new cards aren't going to show up nearly as often as uh, cards have been legal for a long time just because people don't go back and update their old lists so in general i think edh unbans are uh, are probably more interesting for us than modern 
Yeah, EDH players are always looking to try new things. So that's a that's a good thing to point out, Travis. As far as like Kokoshu, I remember when they unbanned that, and that auto got included into pretty much every black EDH deck right away. There's a lot of examples uh, across the board of stuff getting unbanned where it can lead to pretty good financial returns if you're hedging your market correctly. I think Bloodbraid Elf is a really grueling card to play against, and they probably won't unban it uh, anytime soon. I still think Jace can get off the uh, the ban list, but we'll see uh, which way Wizards decides to walk when it comes to unbanning cards in Modern. So, I got it. That was, a, that was a Planeswalker pun. That very nice. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, Jim. Uh... So yeah, I mean, there's nothing too crazy happening in finance this week. Uh, Goblins versus uh, Merfolk um, got spoiled. I think it's pretty okay. I know you guys may feel a little lackluster about it. Um, Cranko is a very key reprint. That card was starting to go up quite a bit from its $3 uh, price point. And now that it's got another printing, this is something I'd like even more. There's just not enough Crankos out there for demand. Um, and if you're playing a Goblin EDH deck, he's certainly you know not gobbling up all your mana. So I wouldn't worry too much about uh, his price going down in the short term because this seems like an easy double up again in a couple years, assuming he doesn't get reprinted. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the decks? Well, there are only a couple notable reprints. Cranko, Master of the Pearl Trident. Uh, nothing else too crazy outside of that. Um, I'm kind of confused why no, none of the like marquee and like exciting cards got reprinted. Like, there's definitely a couple of cards that they could have put in there as like one or two of that would have helped sell this. Like, not having Lord of Atlantis as your as your like face card. Like, I feel like that's a big misplay. And then there's no Silver Gill Adept or Curse Catcher in the deck. So I'm like not really sure what they were going for here. It doesn't really synergize that well with what is going on in the Ixalan, uh, in the Ixalan Merfolk tribe. So I'm just really confused what, who, who this product was really supposed to be for. Uh, I mean, casuals, right? Casuals and also gives a couple of reprints to more enfranchised players. I mean, that's normally what they target these with, isn't it? That's, yeah, I, and there's a lot of casual merfolk players out there that will never, ever come close to having success on the competitive circuit. Shout out to Corbin Hostler. Um, that, uh, that, you know, they just like messing around with their... Uh, their merfolk decks and they don't really do much with it besides just play merfolks in their casual table magic. Um, I, I wouldn't worry too much about, uh, about, uh, the competitive demand as much as there's a lot of good old picks out of bulk that got reprinted. And a lot of the newer players like these new, new border cards, um, so that's something to be aware of. We've seen this in the past with commander reprints, especially players really like having that new border versus the old, and there's a giant price disparity between it. So once again, if you see these in bulk in the future, pull them out, and they'll probably be even better than what their what their original versions were worth. If that makes sense, I don't know if Travis quite got that. 
Uh, you were a little choppy just on audio quality, but um, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, sorry about that. Any better? Yeah, I don't think it's you. I think it might be my connection. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and then we have a ton of questions to get into. We'll try to answer a couple of these. There's one that Ed specifically wanted us to address on this cast. Uh, it's hilarious because Ed couldn't actually make it on this week. Um, but, you know, it's Ed, so we will make do with what we have. Uh, Jeremiah Russell asks, question for the cast. I am wanting to transition from armchair speculating and bulk picking to selling on TCG Player and Facebook and eventually wanting to open or buy out a storefront. How can I work on acquiring more cards of volume? What card should I target? What's the most efficient way to ship cards in sealed boxes? And lastly, what do you think about GP trading? You guys are awesome. Keep up the great work. Well, at least he's got one good idea in there. So there's a plethora of different things that he asks here. Um, Ed feels like we haven't really expanded on enough of these facets of each part of MTG finance as far as like, he's basically asking 10 questions at once. He's like, I I'm, I'm armchair speculating right now. I want to, how do I sell on TCG? How do I sell on Facebook? How do I open up a storefront? How do I get more cards at volume? Which card should I target? What is the most efficient way to ship cards and boxes? And what do you think about GP trading? So if you guys want to do the little Manny Pacquiao uh, jabs at each one of these little questions to answer to the best of your knowledge, you are more than welcome to go ahead. All right. So I'll, I'll just answer the ones that I think I can answer um, because I have no interest in opening a store, but I have been selling cards online. So uh, in my experience, the cheapest way to, to send a card is obviously plain white envelope, but the the cheapest way of that is to make sure that you buy your supplies in bulk um a lot of times it'll look like the amount that you're going to buy like envelopes for example is far more than you'll ever need and the amount that you'll save on that is just astronomical compared to just buying small amounts at like your local supply store or whatever so like for example like bubble mailers are like 25 to 50 cents if you buy them at like Walmart or something or like a Target if you buy like, you know, two to six of them and That might work if you're only sending like a couple of cards and you just don't plan on sending sending anywhere any after that or you can buy like 500 of them in a case on Amazon for like three to eight cents each and After you've sent, you know however many you would to get to that amount of money that you would have spent Anyway, on, on envelopes, you just end up ahead all the time. So my biggest thing is make sure you buy your supplies in bulk. So buy top loaders and sleeves and envelopes. And you can even buy stamps in bulk. Uh, if you go to Costco, you can buy them in uh, books of 100. And they're a few cents cheaper than buying them at the post office. Um, and then make sure you use PayPal shipping to print your shipping labels if you need uh, tracking. That's like some of the easiest ways to save money on just sending cards to people. Um, so let me take a look here. I'm looking at the question here. Um, I completely agree with Jim buying your shipping supplies in, uh, 
in bulk is very important. Bubble mailers, if you walk into the post office, I think are like two dollars or a dollar seventy. And if I yeah, if you order them online, they're like five cents. So that's really important. Um, make sure you can get your printer at home to print envelopes that will save you a lot of time, especially once you start doing items in bulk. Uh, if you care about the environment, don't print your packing slips on full sheets of paper. You can do what I do. Hippie. And, uh, just do nice, small little cards. Uh, you know, it's two inches wide and not even an inch tall, just kind of pre-populates the, the shipping number and the name of my storefront saves a ton of paper. Um, and also is convenient as for uh, how can I work on acquiring more cards of volume by collections uh, what cards should I target aim for you know you've heard Jeremy and Ed uh, talk about this but as somebody who pretty much exclusively sells on TCG those EDH type casual cards absolutely sell with the highest volume I sold through piles of scourge of the throne and sigil tracer and chromatic lantern and Belkin orrery uh, I mean, just way more so than anything else in my inventory um, because there's such a demand for those. So, you know, cap really focus on the like eight to eighteen dollar. The cards that you would sell between eight and eighteen dollars, really, um, because those will especially that are popular in EDH because those will move the fastest and give you the highest volume. Um, and the fastest throughput, which is what you're going to be looking for. Uh, most efficient way to ship cards and sealed boxes. Yeah, plain white envelope for everything under $25. Uh, PayPal multi-order beyond that. Um, if it's over $500, I would I take it into the post office, but that doesn't happen for me very often. Sealed boxes, I have no idea. Jeremy would know. Uh, also, don't open a store. It's a bad idea. <laughs> but we've all said that multiple times. So that, does, that shouldn't be news. Oh, God, this is such a convoluted question. I mean, it's very important that we answer it. There's just like so many different questions in one. Uh, you want to transition to selling on TCG and Facebook. Step one, like go on TCG. You have to undercut everybody else so that you can unlock a level four seller platform so you can set your shipping rates to zero and actually compete with people on the platform. Uh, unless you're providing insane service, and if you don't if you don't know how to transition to TCG and Facebook, you probably don't know how to provide insane service right off the bat for your first hundred orders. You need well, you to know, get in. You need to get in. I never actually set my shipping to zero. I should, but I just never bothered. Uh, it's so much easier. You make way more money. Um, what's it? What's next? Uh, you need a ninety nine point five percent positive feedback on your first hundred orders to get a gold star, which also influences how people buy your cards. Uh, you need to ship them out on the same day that people order or the next day at the latest. There's no excuses. Magic players are super picky. If you ship out two days late, they'll see the date it was shipped and they'll be like, Oh no, you didn't ship it in time. Negative feedback. Take that. Uh, grade harshly. Don't try to get away with stuff. Cause there's crazy people out there. I have like, two or three cards on our platform that are actually listed as near mint. And then there's like 12,000 cards listed as lightly played. Cause I just don't want to deal with people that want near mint cards, uh, complaining about lightly played cards. Um, they're so, annoying. especially, yeah, especially if it's close. So like, unless I'm getting, I know it's near mint cause I've like bought it or seen it, uh, opened or like an insanely well protected card. I'm just not going to deal with listing it at near mint. Um, you want to open or buy out a storefront? Don't. If you want to, I've got a bridge I'll sell you. Uh, the most efficient way to ship cards, top loader. Um, 
Apparently in New York, you have to use non-machinable envelope or stamps, according to Doug, uh, in the great state of Missouri. I haven't had a problem with that yet. I mean, I'm in New York and I haven't done that. And they all seem yeah. to get there. Apparently there's some post offices that will destroy your envelopes if they're non-machinable or they're not non-machinable. Yeah, so that's, like, that's it quite on, It depends on your on your post office. Like, I I ship in top loaders in plain white envelopes, and I've never had any problem, or at least no one's told me that anything has happened to them. So, um, I'm going to assume that that's just a thing that's local to Doug's post office. Well, it's more about the stamp than it is about the plain white envelope and top loader, Jim. We're talking about the type of stamp that you have to use, which is like forty nine cents versus seventy two cents. Well, that's the thing, though, is like if your if your post office has crappy machines and they can't machine the envelopes without destroying them, then you need to pay more. Like, it's not that the yeah, envelopes right. themselves are not machinable by design. It's just make his post office might have crappy machines that haven't been you know upgraded in a long time. Like, I live in a big city, so I probably have the the, the post office that is local to me is probably going to have much more updated machinery. Whereas Doug lives, I think, in the middle of nowhere in New York, and that's probably not the case for him. I guess uh, in the I middle exactly of nowhere, Missouri. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Uh, I know I where so. he lives. It's not the middle of nowhere. Um, other than that, you want to uh, most efficient way to ship boxes: medium flat rate, thirteen fifty. Like, why are you buying boxes? Don't buy boxes unless they are old, sealed product. Um, what do I think about GP trading? I hate people that trade at GPs. They all want a percentage. They're all annoying. They never want to trade across because you know they're a professional shop. When in reality, it's just some other schmuck with a binder that has like a hundred sales on TCG Player, and he's trying to. He's like, oh, I want I want seventy percent trade in because I sell on TCG Player, and it's like, oh, that's cool. What's your WPN number? Because you're a shop. And he's like, oh, well. Well, it's like, yeah, don't waste my time. Get out of here. I hate you guys notice. Do you guys notice that TCG player stopped sending the uh, you haven't shipped in three days? Please hurry up emails. No, because I've never had to deal with that. Yeah, as I say, I've never I've never done that. So no, I've never got one of those emails. No, I uh, have leaned on those heavily in the past. And uh, yeah, they stopped sending them for some reason, which is really annoying because they were a good way for me to catch and make sure that I didn't actually uh forget somebody's order but now that they're gone like i'll be like whoops it's been six days and i didn't mail this yet so like i said whenever you need whenever you get an order on tcg ship it out that day or the next day at the latest and then you won't have to worry about this well like for your size that's very easy because i'm sure the amount of orders you're getting on tcg player are large enough every day that it's sort of like worth your time yeah but for me it would depend heavily so if i get like two orders like it's not like I have a process where I have to like load the envelopes and then create a new Word document, import the addresses, and like there's all these steps. And if it's for two envelopes, it's not really worth the like the set amount of time it requires to start all of that. So it's easier to like give it a day or two and let those build up and then do them all at once. Um, which I'm guessing this guy's going to run into too, unless you're getting like essentially over seven or eight orders a day. It's easier to kind of put them off a little bit. No, stop being lazy. No, you didn't. You didn't get to where you were, Travis, by being lazy. You worked I your you worked your did. ass off, <laughs> and you you prospered. You didn't just lay on your ass all day watching Netflix. You you went out and did something. So when someone orders a card, you go out and you mail it. You don't go. Oh, I'll take care of this in the future. I'm not going to worry about it. I've got blah blah blah. 
Well, you know, I expect like Star City and any real shop to be on the game on the ball about that. But like when I order from TCG Player, I know it could get here in two days and it could get here in two weeks. Like, I don't know. As a buyer, I don't have an expectation of expediency. And if I do need it, I message the buyer and ask them to hurry up. Um, so I don't know. I, th I guess it all depends on the buyer. But I personally don't have any expectation of speed when I buy on TCG Player. Stop trying to make magic into your full-time job people there that's a good suggestion. there are so like you have to be, you have to know so much or you have to work so hard like doug or doug puts in the hours doug picks out the nickels he has a like a system and if you don't even know how to ship on tcg player you sure as hell don't know how to open a shop also, wait. What is? It, what did we say the number for opening a shop was? It was like, it's it's over a hundred thousand. Hundred grand, yeah. Yeah. So two thousand and twelve, it was around fifty grand. It's over a hundred thousand now. You know, if you have, if you live in like a smallish to mid-sized city that somehow doesn't have a hobby shop, I guess you could get away with probably going a little smaller and like essentially just running a broom closet and looking to expand early. But you're not going to be able to pull that off if you don't have a real. Uh, if you have any sort of existing magic competition in your city. Do you want to know why it costs so much more money to open a shop up now? Because gamers want better stuff and shops are continuously improving themselves and pushing upgrades out there to try and get every, to try and cater to people. They're pushing out like better tables, you know, better restrooms, anything that could draw a customer. It's more expensive now. A lot of the shops that were afloat from 2010 to 2013 with the boom of modern were some random hobbyist that thought he could run a shop was basically throwing darts and hitting every time. Because if you guys remember, everyone made a killing back then when modern was announced over the couple of years that it happened. And now those people are starting to see sales slip and they're not able to sustain themselves as well. I mean, St. Louis just had two shops closed this week. And then at the same time, they had another shop open downtown. So it's sort of funny that like everyone's just going crazy because you have one shop that's been around for over a decade that just couldn't sustain itself anymore. Another shop couldn't afford its rent. And then another shop's like, hey, we're going to try and be a shop. So you get, you get all these hobbyists. And the only way to not be a hobbyist is to have a business plan is to do it correctly. And if you're that type of person, why not put your money in something that will actually make you money? instead of a game shop yeah right at this point you know if if i were to open a game shop which i wouldn't do unless i was an idiot but if i were to open a game shop i would do it with the explicit plan of uh, having food service available i don't think any shop should be opening without some sort of food and beverage service because that even if you don't make a lot of money on being able to do that like being able to offer that service seems so valuable and so important to like actually getting people to show up type of thing All right, and for the next interesting question that Ed wanted us to answer, uh, Grant Kleppinger asked, in each of your own opinions, what do you think the single biggest threat to MTG Finance is moving forward, barring reprints? What is the biggest threat to MTG Finance? What does that even mean? What's a threat to MTG? Like, how do you threaten that? So Ed said that from a vendor perspective, the biggest threat is a lack of certainty. It feels like the last two years, in his opinion, has been nothing but boneheaded changes that improve or attempt to improve the customer experience at the cost of vendors. 
that's Ed's that's Ed's response to that question. I mean, if you're if you're like someone that doesn't own a store and you're just buying and selling and reselling cards, your your inventory is probably pretty small and you don't have very much to lose in the grand scheme of things. So I'm not sure what could really threaten you except for like the game not existing. Like I I like that'd be the biggest thing to me, but like that seems so unlikely at this point. Travis? Um, I would say Wizards printing commander products with more foils or somehow changing foil distribution would be pretty disruptive to me because it gets rid of all of the good specs. Like you have so many specs that are safe as foils because there's so few avenues to reprint them. But if you saw those start showing up, I would really have to rethink what I was doing. Um, other than that, if they introduced programs where they started like slipping um, random, essentially the Zendikar treasures program where they put like random cards in booster packs or like the expeditions concept, but just replace that with like everything. Like we took, you know, 10,000 cards and now once every five packs you will randomly get one of those cards and some of them are commons that are popular and popper and some of them are doubling season and you don't know which one you're going to get it'd be like well you know this would kind of throw me off stuff like that i guess on a smaller scale on a larger scale it would be wizards burning the paper market to the ground in order to support arena but i don't think we have to deal with that anytime soon I think the biggest threat to uh, MTG finance is the amount of greater fools out there that get left holding the bag. Wait, I want to change mine. The biggest threat to magic finance is repealing the reserve list. Uh, I don't Well, from my perspective, I don't have a problem with that. For, for you, that would suck. It might not matter on a six month or year time frame, but on a five, 10 year time frame, it would be really bad. There's just too many people out there that consume MTG finance content, including our listeners, no offense, and they get sucked into this, oh, I'm going to make a killing on this. I'm going to have a wall of fat packs behind me. I'm going to have a stack of $100 bills. I'm going to have, you know, like a foil Russian cube or like a set of power or something crazy. And they all keep buying and buying and buying and trying to hold out for the next greater fool. And when that shoe is finally going to drop, whenever that may happen, prices are going to tank. So I think the biggest problem is people that listen to one source. So, you know, we're not, we're not perfect people either. Um, they listen to one source and that's all they go by. And they call the market just like that single person does. Whereas you should be listening to multiple opinions. You're forging your own path ahead. Uh, if that makes any sense, like we do provide a valuable service for free, which is helping you guys with your collections. But at the same time, you can't trust just this cast or anyone else to uh, to have the best the best ideas all the time or stuff like that. You know, like we've been pretty transparent about picks of the week on how many copies we already own, which a couple other casts don't do. Um, but that's something especially I feel that there's a lot of people out there that will call a card and not disclose how many copies they have. And speaking of which, when we talk about the uh, Pirate Stompy stuff last week, I had mentioned that Sig had gone in on the hype of those pirates and uh, he, he rebuttaled me and said it was the Portal Pirates that he bought out and not the 
um, Arcadia Masks ones, and he actually made money on them somehow. So, uh, you know, that's just something where if I, I had thought, because Sig was talking about buying pirates, that he was buying uh, Mercadia Mask ones. And, you know, I respect him as a writer. And what if I went out and bought some as well? And then the shoe drops and it turns out the deck's fake. And we all lose money. I don't know. It just feels like everyone's trying to push their own snake oil. And the the one way you know that we're not... We're not doing the same thing as we don't ask any compensation in return for any of this. You know, you guys aren't paying us to listen to this. You are uh, merely absorbing our ideas when it comes to how we think the market will change. But if you wanted to, (laughs) you should tell Jeremy to make a Patreon or something. No. I want to change my answer again. Now it is that the biggest threat to magic finance is uh, wizards somehow changing hands or leadership and bungling the game and driving player the player base out and uh, seeing a major decline in the volume of players over like a two-year period. That would be pretty bad. So what you're saying is Hasbro sells Wizards of the Coast to Konami? Is that worst case scenario? Please no. Please no. There are a multitude of business decisions they could make that would uh, have that effect. Basically, treat paper magic as though they treat Moto. Jim, are you ready to get into the question of the week? Uh, Do I have to be? I think you should. I think you should read this one aloud for for the class. (sighs) Jake Valentine. That's a hell of a last name. He asks, can Jeremy please let up on the puns before he kills his cast members? To which the answer is no. But for a serious question, what's the most effective way I can turn store credit at my LGS that use Star City prices into cash? Currently, I'm running numbers in terms of BIOS percentages and what people are paying. Okay, you need to work on your English. And what people are paying for them on Cardsphere. I wasn't sure if there was anything more effective available other than, say, picking up cards people need that won't hold value, like standard staples, and trading into more effective long-term holds. You're running numbers, so he's trying what to do you need the Star City buy list for? Wait, what? He's running numbers, what does he need the Star City buy list for? That should I know. Be so he's looking at, like, card sphere and stuff, and he's trying to turn Star City retail into cash. By by scraping buy list on like Card Kingdom and stuff like that. Mine was a joke because running numbers refers to running a gambling ring or some uh, other illegal activity. So it's like, why would you bother with magic cards? Yeah, we'd really have to chip in for an illegal gambling opportunity, Travis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to turn Star City fun bucks into cold hard cash? I mean, personally, I would ask the people that I play Magic with uh, what cards they need and then just buy them from the store and sell them the cards for less than whatever you paid, like whatever they would have paid for them. Obviously, that's not always kosher. Don't do it in the store itself because most stores don't let you buy and sell cards in the store. But like, if you have a play group that you know you know pretty well and that you can sell them cards outside or like you could do it like 
on a Facebook group, or you could just like act out like I don't know if this is also a thing that you can do, but I know with like larger websites you could do this. Um, you might just be able to sell the store credit itself to another person. Um, I know that people that write for Star City Games and get paid in store credit have sold their large amounts of store credit to other players, like people that play in. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. SCG classics that get prize wall tickets will take store credit and then sell the store credit to someone for, you know, a percentage of whatever it is. Um, there are more options other than just buy listing cards. But if you really need to like cash out of the store for some reason, um, just buy a bunch of lands. Like you really can't go wrong with that. I'm still not exactly clear on the scenario here. So his store gives Star City Bylus, but they give it in credit. No, he has store credit, Travis. And his shop sells cards at Star City prices. And he wants to turn his store credit into singles at Star City prices from his LGS into cash. Uh, I like the sell your store credit idea, but I like that basically no matter what. You can also trade your store credit at a loss for other cards too. Like you can trade it to players at like 70% or 80% or something like that. Um, and if you're buying at star city prices in your local store, that's, you know, whatever they're charging above and beyond anyway. So it doesn't feel like you're even that far behind, but you can also game the system when the star city sales come around and they have to sell them at the reduced rate. So at the end of the year, when star city is trying to get rid of inventory, and you see some soul rings at a dollar and command tower towers at a dollar and regal behemoths at a quarter and wastelands at 25 and you i mean you just you just get all that stuff from your shop and then you flip them real fast either a buy list or players because that's the easiest way to do it and then you you know you come home for from uh from your your job that you work at all day you know 40 hours a week with your uh, your angry boss giving it to you while you drive in your sad car on your commute home and you come home to your family with all that money and you go happy Christmas or whatever the hell the Christians say. And Oh my God, I just lost all that. Uh, it's going to be fun to pick up, but I uh, wait for a star city sale and then uh, game your LGS's shop that way. What yeah, are you that's doing? That's a bad way to do it too. Apparently trying to uh, in hundreds is not a good idea. So I guess I'm going to have to pay for the, I'm going to be billed for that later. Can I bill you for that? No, but that's a, that's a good question, Jake. Um, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter and we will get you that, uh, that credit because a lot of people asked questions this week about how to win and you guys should continue to do that to keep trying to win. Also cause cool stuff likes when you post on our stuff. But yeah, I mean, you guys want to keep the viewer questions going or is there anything else that you want to talk about? Cause we still have a ton of viewer questions. Viewer questions are fine. People want answers and I don't have anything pressing to talk about this week. All right. You keep pasting the question in the chat bar too when you do it, so it's easy for me to reference. Of course. Jeff Woods asks, I see Jeremy just posted about selling his foil memory jar spec from 2013. Is too long to hold on to a spec. 
Is there ever a time to just cut your losses and just get out? Do you keep a size limit, so to speak, on your spec box or inventory? I am asking as a private player and collector. The store and dealer inventory perspective doesn't help me. I'm just trying to keep down the cost for my hobby. Thank you. Basically, politely told you to shut up. <laughs> uh, Jim, you want to start here? No, I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. Fair. Ho uh, hockey's in the background, so I was like zoned out for a little bit. Okay, well, I'll give you some quick insight here. Uh, there is no too long to hold one, um, simply because technically there doesn't need to be, but what you do want to consider is... Uh, is opportunity costs. So like, could your money be doing more work elsewhere? Um, and if it is, then you should do that. But that's kind of a lot of work to keep up with a lot of the times. So I don't blame you if you're not consciously making those decisions on every card in your inventory. Um, it's basically at any given time, you shouldn't be asking how long have I had this card? You should be asking, uh, is this card worth having in my inventory now? Uh, that is, would be my general rule of thumb. Um, you know, I also try not to sell at a loss, which like sometimes it's correct to do, but uh, you know, it is for your time investment, sometimes easier to wait longer on something than maybe you should uh, if you don't have to do the work of selling it when you can just leave it and let it, you know, you lose a little opportunity cost not doing the work, but at the same time, it doesn't take you any time to deal with it. Um, so that's worth something as well. Uh, but in general, no, there's no time limit on how you, long you should hold something. Your rule of thumb should be, uh, is this worth selling? Like, is it a toxic asset? Is it going to go down because it's going to get reprinted? Um, can I make enough money off of selling this to buy something else I like a lot more? Those are the types of questions you need to consider when you're wondering if you should sell out of a spec. All right, hockey boy, you want to try this again? Yeah, so uh, I think that most of what Travis said pretty much relates here. Um, the only thing I, I would also say is to consider what you're in for. Like, if you bought something as a bulk rare or close to bulk rare, selling it at a loss, like, doesn't really change anything. Um, so a lot of times, like, you're just better off just sitting on that stuff because it can't go down from bulk. Like, nothing's ever worth less than bulk. So if something's at bulk, it can never go down. So selling it really doesn't change anything. Um, except give you the money in, in cash instead of in cards. But there's always the possibility that bulk does go up because new cards get printed and people get excited about them. They don't have the old ones, and that's usually how those kinds of cards move, especially EDH-style cards. So if you bought something for bulk, no matter how long you've kept it for, like I don't feel like there's ever a good time to sell it unless it goes up. Like There's no reason to get rid of your bulk standard rares or mythics because... They could just always be worth more than they are today. Um, but that's not obviously what everyone's talking about, so it really depends on like what what the like real realistic floor for a card is and if it's ever going to go down from there. It's a good point. Um, I think the other thing I would argue is if you're concerned about how much money you have tied up in magic specs, maybe you shouldn't be specking on magic. Like if you're trying to if you're spending all your free money speculating on magic cards, you're doing it wrong. There's a lot of people that do that. So just watch out. Like magic investing and magic speculating is not a supplement for your 401k or your ETF or whatever.
So this should just be fun money that you don't really care about. And sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down. You know, we do have a tendency of that message, uh, but I am not exactly clear that it is worse than a 401k in terms of rate on return if you are doing it correctly. Just I would argue I'm the only one doing it correctly, though. Well, you are treating it as a job. You basically just have a job, right? Like, you don't even speculate, do you? Like, how many cards do you buy at market price with the intention of them going up in price? Like zero. Yeah, it doesn't. you don't really speculate. And, uh, you know, Jim does a little bit, and I do a little bit. I have other options. I'm just saying, in general, like, if I can... I think for most people, putting $1,000 into their 401k is a better idea in general than ma- speculating on magic with that $1,000. But you can do more with that money in magic than you could in the, your 401k in the same way that like you can do better on magic than you could in the stock market because the rate of return is so much higher, but it is harder and more work. So, you know, it would be wise to keep track of how you're actually doing with all of this so that after six months or a year, you can look back and decide uh, if it was the right idea and if you should keep doing it. Okay. But on the other hand, we have a customer or a a listener who asked how he could start selling on TCG and Facebook. And we didn't even get into the fact that technically speaking, anything over like X amount of dollars under the IRS is considered taxable because it's no longer hobby income. And if you're trying to make your yourself known on Facebook or TCG player, you're going to hit that very fast. Uh, yeah, I can attest that it has been annoying how easy it is to go over those thresholds. So that's something you need to keep in mind as well is like, if you want to sell on TCG or Facebook, you need to incorporate or you need to have some legal entity to, uh, conduct business through. Well, uh, so I'm going to, you don't actually, right? Like I don't have a legal entity. I don't need to be a LLC or anything. Doug does because his scenario is different, but for armchair people, you don't have to bother. Well, no, that's what I'm saying, though, is because you're selling above the threshold, TCG even sends out emails that they're going to notify you uh, when it hits their threshold as well. Yeah, 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 no, no, I agree with that. But I mean, like, even if you're over those thresholds, you don't have to have a separate legal entity to do that. You are on the hook for taxes, but like I can still do it as a private individual. Right. I'm just saying, in my opinion, it's much easier that if you're going to go on this road of selling on TCG Player or Facebook and you're going to do it every week, you should protect yourself. Yeah, well, so, I mean, this is getting into part the something that this guy definitely didn't ask. So Doug and I <laughs> operate in similar spaces, except that Doug does a lot with um, selling, like, on his storefront, right? Like, in a real store with real players type of thing, where yep. I don't deal with that at all. So for me, it's, uh, I have basically don't need an LLC because I have no risk. Like, I'm not going to have anyone sue me or anything like that. Makes sense. I'm just actually pulling up Doug's sales right now to see. uh, So Doug has currently done 14 sales in the last 30 days through TCG player. But he's done hundreds of sales data there. He's done. He's done hundreds of sales through Twitter and Facebook. So that, you know, if you're going to get up there, especially if you're using Facebook or Twitter, Uh, You need to think about all the costs, as Travis and Jim already talked about buying in bulk, that are associated with uh, stepping up your game from like one letter a week. So just keep that in mind. There's a lot of calculations and stuff that go into 
selling magic cards, including space, which for a lot of people is a big problem, especially if you live in a place where space is expensive. So keep that in mind. You guys ready to get in the pick of the week? Sure. All right, Jim. I was born since, ready. Since Ed is uh, working, what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week this week is Sunbird's Invocation. Um, don't know if I picked it already, but if I did, I'm picking it again. Um, Cards just busted. Like people have been trying to play it in uh, standard. I saw Jeff Hoogan today was playing a red white deck that had uh, Approach of the Second Sun because you can approach into another approach with the Sunbird's Invocation, just win on the same turn. Um, this card's stupid in EDH. This is going to be the closest kind of thing that you can get to like a Cyclonic Rift in, in basically every red deck. Once people play with it once, like I, I've seen it now with, with my local playgroup. Once one person plays it, casts one spell, and everyone else at the table realizes that they probably read it wrong the first time, this card is just too good to be what is basically a bulk rare at the, at the moment. Um, this is the kind of card that like you could buy a bunch of copies while people are drafting it or trade for them or whatever, and then just throw them in a closet for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like a three or $4 card because they just don't exist anymore. Nobody's opening them. So this is a card that's like, I would say like the closest analogous is going to be something like dictative Erebos where like, it's not immediately going to be expensive, but it will be expensive eventually. Travis. Uh, so, my card for the week is uh, Warstorm Surge, which is secretly in a ton of decks that everybody forgets that about. Yeah, it's a really cool card that you don't see people talk about very much, but I really like the foils of it. Um, they're still pretty cheap at like 6 or $7. There's a really low supply. Uh, so that is a good choice if you're looking for something that's kind of off the radar people aren't going to think about. Um, and uh, it's just in way more decks than people realize, and supply is pretty low. So I think that's uh, a pretty good shot there. So, Jeremy, are you going to pick a six-mana red enchantment also? No, I'm actually picking a standard card this week. I'm pulling an Ed. Someone's got a substitute. My pick for this week is Maverin Fane, Dusk Apostle, out of Ixalan. Um, this is a card that has recently been showcased in the Monument decks as a black-white uh, vampire deck, and the card is putting in serious work. Uh, watching people stream with this deck, I expect for it to have a breakout in the next month. Um, it's, it's like 90% against the, um, uh, the teamer energy deck right now. Uh, it's one of its best matchups. And if you want something that is, uh, very budget efficient, this is the deck to play right now as well. Uh, this card is currently a dollar. I see this going up to three or four. This is something that if you see in your LGS's bulk box, or if it's a throw in for a trade, this is something I like in the next month. So I, I keep an eye on it. It has a lot of good synergies with uh, a couple decks people are trying out right now. So, yeah. Anything else you guys want to say before we sign off? I'm good. Where can people find you? That sort of stuff. My name is Jim Sal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Um, you can sometimes find me on our Facebook page or our Twitter account. So I frequent those places. And I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday for MTG Price. I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast, uh, usually released on Thursdays. And if you enjoy playing Magic, check out scry.land, find magic in your area.
And I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. If you are interested in a more upbeat version of this cast, we should be recording After Hours later this week without Jim, which is why it will maybe be more upbeat. Just kidding. Daggers. Um, it was. It's what? been a. It's been a long week. I was like, a- I was looking for a pun there, but like it doesn't exist, so I don't no. really know why you said the things that you said. No. Um, it's been a long weekend for a lot of us, I guess. So we're pretty low energy. We should all be in happy spirits by uh, later on this week when we record after hours. As always, you can find us at uh, cartel underscore finance on Twitter or cartel aristocrats on Facebook. And please keep the questions coming. It makes our lives so much easier. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll check in with you next week. Have a good one.